Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I know what it's like to hear those three words. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. One day I said to my wife, Linda, that I hated the fact that I had cancer. And she looked at me and said, no, sweetheart, we have cancer. This transformed the way I looked at cancer because every one of us is touched by it in some way. Patients and survivors, caregivers and medical professionals, and we all have a story to tell. On each episode, we share those stories to inform, inspire, and provide hope to all of us who are affected by cancer to remind us that we are not alone. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 187 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining me. And thank you for being a part of the We Have Cancer podcast for almost 200 episodes and about six and a half years. As I mentioned in episode 186, we are wrapping up the We Have Cancer podcast, and this will be the final interview of the We Have Cancer podcast. There will be one more episode that'll be a solo episode with me that'll be coming out in two weeks, but this will be our last interview. And uh, I'll talk more about that in the next episode, but this is not a goodbye. It's a goodbye for now as I look to shift my focus and my efforts into a new space with the goal of impacting the lives of others, just like as we've done with this podcast. Not sure what that's going to look like just yet, but uh, if you stay with me and follow my journey, uh, I'm confident that uh, we're going to land in a, in a great new place and be able to make a difference in a whole new way. My guest this week for the final episode is David Richman. David is the author of the book, Cycle of Lives, 15 People's Stories, 5,000 Miles, and a Journey Through the Emotional Chaos of Cancer. And you can learn more about David and his journey through his website at cycleoflives.org, where David literally cycled on a bicycle over 5,000 miles across the U.S. to meet and have conversations with 15 people whose lives have been impacted by cancer, as has his life. And he'll talk about that in our conversation. So join me now for that conversation with David Richmond. Dave, welcome to the We Have Cancer Show. Really appreciate you coming on. And uh, I know this has been a few months in the making, so I'm glad we were able to pull this off. Mm -hmm. Your story is is really doesn't start with you. It does. It starts with your sister, June. Well, thank you, Lee. You know what? Um, one of the greatest things about this whole project is I, I, I've had people, not that many, but I've had people like you that have asked me that question and it's a really nice gift that you do that because everybody loses people. We all lose people, but we don't often have the opportunity that people care to hear about them. And so that's really nice of you. So June was my sister. We're only 18 months apart. And when she was young, you know, in her forties, 
uh, young forties, young, young family, uh, husband, good friends, good job, whatever. It just, it, you know, she got hit with some pretty bad news that she had a pretty advanced case of uh, a brain cancer and most likely terminal, which it ended up being. And, you know, obviously changed her life and, you know, really the trajectory of all of her relationships and, you know, what became important to her changed and, you know, just, you know, how, how it is. It just hit her in the face like a shovel and, and changed her life. And she was the impetus for this project. And, um, and we can get into that later, but really she was a very honest, lovable, likable you know, a person flaky as hell. So that used to bother the heck out of me, but I was so happy <laughs> for her that she had such a, a great family and loved her kids. Her friends loved her and she just got along with everybody. And she was a, she was a really, a really kind soul. And she was, I mean, basically she's the reason why you and I are talking right now. Yeah. yeah. And if, you know, if she was here, seeing all that you've done, the book, the bike, you know, on and on and on and on. What do you think her reaction would be? Uh, she would probably say like, dude, give it up already. No, she wouldn't. <laughs> now I think she'd be proud. You know, one of the things that she told me that was really poignant was she said, you know, the thing that sucks the most about this is I'm not going to be able to see my kids grow up. You know, that's the, that's the thing that sucks the most about this. And if you have kids, you know, people have kids, you have nieces, nephews, whatever, you understand how important that is. And I kind of think that I'm hoping that in whatever way we're connected, um, even if it's, you know, just in my head, um, that she's been able to at least uh, experience some of what she meant to people and her legacy. So I think she'd be proud that she's not forgotten. You know, I think she'd be proud about it. And she was impetus for what I think was a a pretty bold project that I started. And, and um, you know, without her, there's no way I would have done that. Well, we've all heard the expression, go big or go home. Ah. <laughs> what made you decide to take on such a massive project of 5,000 miles on a bike yeah. and, and seeking out and cold calling and finding just the right stories of people to talk to. Where did, how did that idea manifest itself? Let me tell you, Lee, how it happened. So, you know, the, the, uh, the relay for life that the American cancer society does. Well, June had a team, they were called the June buggies and they were all going to get ready to do a relay for life for her in June of 2007. I think it was the 2nd of June and near the end of her life, um, she said, geez, all I want to do is make it to the relay so that I can be out there in a tent laying on my cot or whatever, watching people for the whole 24 hours. And I had taken up endurance athletics and said, uh, geez, you know what, if you're going to be in your condition out there for the whole 24 hours, I'll run for the whole 24 hours on the track. And unfortunately, she died a couple of days before, so she didn't get to go, you know, do that. She didn't get to go to the to the Relay for Life, but I did. And I went there not knowing what to expect. And what I saw was that um, people were there. They were able to deal with the tasks around their cancer. Where do I get treatment? What? Where do I go to get better treatment? How do I reduce stress? Um, how do I navigate healthcare? Um, what drugs, you know, are you on? What all these tasks they were able to deal with? But when it came to the emotions, Lee, the emotions of that of their cancer and the traumas that 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 and the emotions that 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 were created by that trauma, that's when people kind of 
closed up and they weren't able to talk about it. So I thought to myself, uh, over a period of time, it came to me, but I thought to myself, um, wouldn't it be great if I could meet with these wonderful people that had inspiring, insightful, moving stories that would come from all different perspectives, caregivers, survivors, loved ones, uh, doctors, patients, uh, professionals, whatever, uh, all different kinds of cancer, all different stages of cancer, um, uh, one and done, young, old, whatever. Wouldn't it be great if I could get these great stories that would give us some insight into the varying emotional responses people have to their cancer journey, which usually relates to the past traumas that they've had in life, right? Things like abandonment, um, isolation issues, um, suicide, drug addiction, um, these type of things that people had gone through that affected who they were on an emotional level and then how they could deal with their trauma. Wouldn't it be great if I could bring these stories to people um, with the hopes of, of a better equipping people to have conversations, Do you know, the uh, and conversations are hard to have. So um, uh, that was my goal. Hey everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the We Have Cancer Show. This month is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, and I can't thank Lee enough for having us on the show. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Brody Nicholas, and I have the honor of leading campaign one at a time. This month, we're sponsoring Caden, an 11-year-old cancer patient from Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts. Caden is a mama's boy and loves to study dinosaurs, sharks, and any other animal, and is currently battling acute myeloid leukemia. Caden has gone through three rounds of chemotherapy, a bone marrow transplant, five blood transfusions, over 15 platelet transfusions, and so much more. After all that he's been through, we want to help Caden and his family make more memories together outside of the hospital. That's why we're on a mission to raise $10,000 this month to send Caden and his family to Disney World for a much-needed vacation. You can learn more about Caden's campaign and learn how you can help by visiting wehavecantorshow.com forward slash Caden. Thank you so much for listening and helping spread good for more kids like Caden. And what was the biggest surprise as you embarked on this and and met these incredible people? Was there uh, one or maybe more than one, wow, I didn't see that coming kind of moment? Uh, Tons. There were tons, tons. Because, you know... um, even though my sister and I had talked and even though I had dealt with um, traumatic scenes before and traumatic situations before, I, I just, I, I think I went into it thinking that it was all going to be just drudgery and death and, and depression and uh, just like, oh, I thought, oh, I'm going to be you know, walking through murky, dirty waters. And it was exactly the opposite. You know, it's like people were hopeful and they were inspirational. And even when they had to deal with the most horrible things ever, uh, not always, but mostly they came out on the other side with positives about that experience. Now, uh, granted, not, not everything was positive. Right. And there are some dark, you know, there are some dark times. But that was a big surprise. The other big surprise, Lee, was that only the most interesting people, which was basically everyone, only the most interesting people said, ah, you don't want to talk to me. My, my story is not that interesting, you know? And so <laughs> when I got down into it, the gems that I learned about people and how impactful those gems were was just, I, it was such a gift to me. I was so lucky to, to do it.
Can, can you share one that sticks out? Yeah. So uh, Dr. Myers, she's a great one. So Dr. Myers, I, I, I meet her. Uh, I found her on the I'm Actually, my wife found her on the web. And we reached out to her. And she agreed to have a phone call with me. And I said to her, I said, uh, hey, Dr. Myers, um, I want to talk to you about your emotional journey being a, uh, an oncologist specializing in breast cancer for 40 years. I want to hear about your experience and how the emotional journey you've taken has affected you so that we uh, can learn how to be better patients um, and and we can understand what you go through as a doctor, right? She said, okay, great. And I said, well, in order to do this the proper way, I've got to ask you things that you haven't talked to your husband about. And she said, that's okay. We don't talk about this kind of stuff, right? We don't, he does his, I do mine. I said, okay, well, we can't, you know, things you haven't talked to your friends about. And she said, well, you know, my friends, we don't really talk about this kind of stuff. I said, okay, or your peers, things you haven't talked to your peers about. She started laughing. She said, are you kidding me? I'm a woman doctor. You think I'm going to talk about my emotions? right? I'll, I'll never get a, a, another patient sent to me ever. I said, well, who have you talked to about this stuff? And she said, well, besides you? And I said, oh my gosh. So what I, what I come to find out to learn is that there were two factors that really affected her journey as a physician. One was that when she was 12, her dad never came home and, and she's never heard from him since. Okay. Now you think, Somebody goes to NYU, they grow up, you know, a certain way. You think that they're a successful oncologist. They probably had some kind of stable background. You think, you know, she, what would she know about being abandoned? What would she know about isolation? That's what you would think. But until I found that out about her and she was very open and disclosing how it affected her, I didn't know, right? And then you think, oh, well, the reason that a doctor is telling me what to do so forcibly is because they're egotistical or because, gee, they think that they've had 40 years of experience, so they should know better and I should listen to them. And you think, you know, you come with these preconceived notions about why is the doctor so so strong about telling me what to do? Meanwhile, through my talks with her, I come to find out, Lee, that the reason that she's so adamant about following what she says is because being an oncologist for 40 years has shown her that if her patients don't listen to her about their care, perhaps they might be sicker, perhaps they might die, perhaps they might die sooner, and she doesn't want them to miss out on what she's been so grateful to receive in life, which is a long marriage, I'm growing up raising her daughter, seeing her daughter go up and, and go off in her career. And she's seen these people. She, she's been, you know, over 40 years of, of this of this journey of her as a doctor. She's just become more desperate and desperate for people to really get better and to listen to her and to get back to their lives because she doesn't want them to miss out on it. She's not saying what she's saying because she's some non-caring, egotistical, listen to me doctor. And so these are the type of gems that uh, I encountered, sorry for the long answer, but I thought it's important because when you say, oh, my doctor cares for me, uh, she, this one cares about you. She doesn't just care for you. And, and, and I think, um, her story, um, can help caregivers, but it can also help uh, people be better patients. What experiences in life did you have, David, that helped you be able to dig deep and have these kinds of not just on the surface kind of conversations. Where did you pick up this skill? <laughs> you know, my, my wife's an attorney and she, she walks by me sometimes when I'm on the phone with people 
and you know attorneys they got no shame she 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 can say anything to anybody and she would walk by and and then later on she would go i can't believe you asked that person that question what are you thinking you can't ask that and i went yeah well i i think that i'm always been an observant i think i've always been an observer and um and i and i think that um uh trying to figure things out right trying to trying to figure the puzzle out of people is a real joy but when i asked somebody to let me into the deepest darkest recesses of their minds and their hearts i had to take it very serious and if this project was going to be one that could have an impact on people um i had to take it serious and so like you said go big or go home if if i was to write and and gosh lee I, I i'd love the opportunity but if i was to write the story of lee in 25 pages or 30 pages or 20 pages I can't do that very easily. I, I got to know every angle about you that I can know and then figure out a way to capture the essence of you so that your story can help people, so that your story will have a lasting impact on people. And that's a very difficult thing to do. And people entrusted me to do that. So I better have taken it seriously. Can you think back in your life, David, to a moment that you think kind of molded you to be, you know, have this curiosity and 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 drive to get to more than just what's on the surface? Yeah, it's kind of kind of a silly thing. I, I talk about it in, my, in the forward of my book a little bit, but you know, I I for a really long time, like up until. Gosh, probably my 30s. Um, I kind of felt like always on the outside looking in. You know, like I'm, 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 I'm observing life. I'm not in it. In fact, uh, gosh, I haven't said this in how, I don't know how many years, Lee, but I, even a friend of mine in my 20s, we used to call ourselves the shadows because we always felt like we were lurking in the shadows when we weren't actually part of the part of the real world. And I think as a kid, I remember I had this this one um, instance where. My, I won't bore you with all the details of, of my upbringing, but it was a very odd thing for my parents to throw this big party. And I was so shocked at the people that were there and the people having fun and my parents were happy. And I'm just like, this is not the world I know. And I just would not go to sleep. And I just wanted to look out of my window and to the backyard and see what was going on. And my mom came in. And one of the few times I remember her being soft with me, she goes, hey, it's okay for you to go to sleep. You're not going to miss anything. And I pretended to go back to sleep. And then I got right back up and stared out the window because I knew I was going to miss something. So I think I always felt like I'm going to miss it. So I'm always watching stuff. I'm always wanting to be a part of it. And I felt like I was always going to miss it. So I think that's probably the driver of you know wanting to capture stories of, of people before uh, before they were gone. You could have easily just sat home and, you know, had your phone in your hand and called different cancer centers and lined up people to yeah. talk to. What was the impetus to combine uh, such a monumental physical endurance component of a 5,000 mile bike ride? Yeah. To, uh, with this. <laughs> well, if you're with somebody that you trust, Lee. Um, and, and somebody that you have a safe place and you ask them a question and they answer it with, well, let me tell you a story. You're going to lean in, 
right? You're just going to lean in. And I think we're connected. We're all connected by stories and, and we're connected by emotion. And I thought to myself a couple of years in, because I was interviewing people for a couple of years. I thought a couple of years in, if we're all connected by emotions and connected by stories and I'm writing stories about emotions, what better way to connect everybody than to jump on my bike and go from city to city to meet the book participants since I've been talking to them on the phone for a long time. So I just said, why not connect them? So I said, all right, let's figure it out. And I got one person in New Mexico and another in Texas and another in Southern California, a couple in Florida, a couple in New York. And I just said, well, let's string them all together. So that kind of became the 16th story. You know, there's 15 remarkable stories. That kind of became the 16th story, which is the narrative in between all of their stories that talks about the bike ride, the people I met along the way, um, who all had that same uh, concept of we, we're not equipped to talk about this difficult thing, you know, on the emotional level. And then it also uh, gave me a chance to kind of explore my feelings about losing my sister. And so the narrative, which is very short in between each story, that narrative explores those three things. It talks about the bike ride, the people I met, and then kind of my emotional journey. Did it feel perhaps something like meditation when you were on the bike? Yeah. You know, but between those stories? Yeah. And, and what role did June play <laughs> in helping you get through what obviously was a huge physical challenge to complete? Uh, those are those are two great questions. Do you do anything to uh, get into the right mindset to meditate, to uh, take a deep breath? Uh, I do uh, power walks a couple miles every morning, okay. you know, and and try to make sure that there's a view of a nice lake uh, somewhere along the way. So that that's my way. That's really nice. You know, one of the people that I uh, uh, talk to and that's part of the book, Karen, she, she was actually taken care of by Moffat. Her way of meditating was taking pictures at sunset. So my way of meditating, getting into the right space is doing endurance athletics. So it takes a while for my brain to unload and to clarify. And I think that your my mind gets clear to meditate and think hard about things if I'm a couple hours into a run or a couple hours into a bike. So um, yes, I found that biking was very meditative. And I've done you know tons of Ironmans and 100-mile runs and those kind of things. And I always find that I get into a contemplative, meditative state um, it, while I'm into it and it helps me solve problems. You know, people used to go, Oh, what are you running from? No, I'm not running from anything. I'm running to whatever it is, some answers, some clarity, some perspective, you know, some of that. So that was, that was, yes, the answer is yes, very meditative and allowed me to really contemplate the stories, um, and really pay attention to the people I met along the way as well. And then the second part of your question, June, um, you know, I think probably, I had two sides of, of the paper on one side of the paper. Um, when I had really difficult days, I kind of was just like, you know, you kind of have it pretty easy. So don't, don't, you know, don't give up. Don't, don't stop. Right. Compared to what other people went through, compared to what they're going through, compared to what June went through. So I think it probably gave me some strength. And then on the other side of the paper, you know, was kind of my, it was my time to be able to contemplate the loss and and grieve about losing the only person that kind of knew me as a child you know um 
she was the only person that kind of knew what we had gone through and the difficulties that we had and um, you know why we were the way we were. Nobody else would know that. And, and so I, I had lost that. And I never really kind of thought about that side of it. And, um, and I, I kind of figured that out on the bike riding, kind of came to terms with it. Which leads me to my next question. How has, you know, looking back, how has this experience changed you from the person you were before? Oh, how hasn't it? Right. How has, you know, if, if I would say for you, what you've been through for the last 10 years, it doesn't define who you are, but it's probably changed you in so many ways. Right. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I think it, it uh, taught me a perspective, more perspective, um, that it's okay to complain sometimes about how hard things are because sometimes they're hard that it's okay to slap yourself in the face sometimes and say, stop complaining about how hard things are because they're not really that hard. So I think it's given me the opportunity to, to forgive myself a little bit for if I'm being too hard or too easy on myself, right? Just be authentic, be real. It's all okay. It's, it's okay to one day feel like king of the mountain and the next day feel like everybody's stepping on you. It's okay. That's one. Uh, another thing I learned is that, um, I just I said this earlier today. If you gave me the choice, Lee, to cook you a hundred dinners in a row, or to have you cook me one, I choose the hundred, right? Because I'm not good at receiving the, the the care and the and whatever. So I think I probably learned that it's okay to allow people to care for me and to care about me. That that's that's been a, a thing. And uh, but I think the most important thing is that and and if this sounds preachy or prescriptive or whatever, I apologize to people, but I think it, uh, that journey taught me to not be afraid to talk to people. Even if you, you're an a-hole and you say the wrong thing, like instead of saying, Oh, I'm sorry about your loss. And then being walking away, being afraid to say something or, uh, that must be hard, but I'm going to not talk to you again. Cause I'm afraid of, of making you think about the things you don't want to think about. Whatever all those negative thoughts are about, isolating away from somebody who's going through something difficult is I've learned to lean in and say, how does that make you feel? Were you close to that person? Is there anything I can do? Do you want me to talk to you? Do you want me not to talk to you? Which is better, right? It's just, I think it's a lot, it's given me the freedom to know that no matter how stupid I think I'm being, if I'm being authentic and being real and caring about the person that's opened up to me, even if for, just for a second, that that's a good thing to do. There's, there's so much behind communication with people who are going through struggles, right? Yeah. And too often, we're, we let our uh, discomfort be the barrier, right? And I admire the fact that you kind of kick that aside and say, the heck with that. I'm going to talk to you. It took me a long time, Lee, to figure that out because it's a very uncomfortable thing. I mean, think about this. I'm healthy, right? I, I, as far as I know, I'm healthy. I'm 57 years old. I'm in great shape. I just went for a 35-minute, very fast, but very short run in a 100-degree temperature. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be able to talk to you. I'm very fortunate, okay? And I'm talking to somebody who's getting ready to go in for chemo for the umpteenth time. 
and um, you've been dealing with, you know, your cancer, you told me for 10 years. And it's like, are you kidding me? That things that you've gone through and I am so lucky to be able to talk to you about it and that you are willing to share your story and bring people into your reality. I mean, how is that not, how does that not make me lucky? But it took me a long time to realize that I'm living my life, you're living yours, right? And so just because I am not in your circumstance doesn't mean that I can't care and that I can't be there and that I can't lean in and be authentic with you because that's that's a good thing. It's a good thing for us to be able to do that. And um, uh, by us connecting and by us spending a few minutes together, um, you know, I, I won't forget this conversation for for you know hopefully forever. Right? That's a gift. And the fact that that um, it might be uncomfortable um, for me, uh, or I, I might say something stupid or inappropriate accidentally. I don't mean to um, to you is is not important what's important is that we're trying to connect in an authentic way so what do you say to that person that um and there's lots of them out there that uh says i don't know what to say yeah yeah guess what neither does anybody else get over it all right I mean, how, how much of a jerk did I feel like, Lee, when, I, when my sister would call and I go, hey, June, how you doing? And then I thought, she's dying of brain cancer, dude. How do you think she's doing? But I didn't give her a chance to answer the question before I already threw that on her. And a lot of times she would go, oh, I'm good. Hey, anyway, so-and-so, da-da-da, this is why I called you, blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, I just beat myself up for asking a question that I thought was completely stupid. She didn't give it a second thought, right? You're never going to say the right thing. You're never going to say the wrong thing. You just say it give it up. Just give it up. Don't, it, we don't get the time back, right? We just don't get the time back. And so if you, I, I literally was talking to somebody earlier today. I was fortunate enough to do it, another podcast today. And, and she's a therapist. She's a grief therapist. Okay. And her uncle's wife, her aunt just found out she has a stage three a recurrence of breast cancer. And she goes, oh, it's been a week and haven't reached out to her. And I know that she doesn't want to talk about it because it's going to make her think about what she's going through. And she goes, oh, maybe I better call her. I'm like, yeah, you better call her. Because maybe you think that, but maybe the more thing she's thinking is, is how come you haven't reached out to me? It's been a week since you've known this. So just ask her, I'm calling you because... Maybe you don't want me to. Maybe you don't want to think about it, but I'm thinking about you. So that's why I'm reaching out. So what if it's the wrong thing? At least you care and you're being authentic. It's the greatest It's the greatest thing ever. So, so what do I say to people? As much as it hurts, as much as you don't want to be an a-hole, as much as you don't want to say the wrong thing, just just do it. Just just give it up and, get, and, and make the call. Lean into it. Lean into it. It's hard to do. It's very uncomfortable sometimes, but just lean into it. You'll both be better for it. Right, because think about how you'll feel if the the day you waited and they're not here anymore. Yeah, right. Which yeah. which is going to feel worse, right? For them and for you. Exactly. Right. Right. right? Yeah. And and we, it's scary because you just look. Lee, the human brain can't contemplate its own demise. We just can't do it. We cannot do it. We can't do it. Chemically, we can't do it. We can't. We're not wired. We're not. We don't have the ability to contemplate our own mortality on a 
really like subatomic level. Okay. But when it hits you, you know it. When you see somebody die, you know they're dead. Or you see somebody abandoned, or you see somebody go off into the sunset, whether they live another 30 years or not, but you abandon them or they abandon you or they, they isolated or whatever, you know that's it. That's done. You missed the opportunity. And, you know, it's a shame. You don't always have a chance to um, control it. You can't always change the reality of sometimes they're gone forever, whether they're alive or not. But when you can, you might as well try, right? Might as well try. Might as well try. Yeah. The name of the book is Cycle of Lives. David Richmond, it has been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate the uh, generosity of your time. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, uh, offering to spend a few minutes with us uh, sharing your story and June's story. Oh, and uh, it's, 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 it's been wonderful. Yeah, thanks, Lee. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you taking time during all that you're going through to bring stories to other people to try to help them and shed light on uh, this experience of, of life that we're all we're all experiencing one way or another, right? At the same time, and we're all connected, like you said, in yeah. one in some shape or fashion. So, you know, I, I remember kind of telling myself when I first found out uh, that I jumped from the stage two club to the stage four club, which was only a year in. I said, well, one of the ways I'm going to get through this is by making others feel better and giving other people hope. And that's just another example of us just all being connected. Right? Awesome. Well, you made my day, so thanks for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a pleasure, my friend. Be well. All right. Thanks, Lee. Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer, and thank you to our sponsor, the Colon Cancer Coalition, for your support. You can subscribe to We Have Cancer by visiting Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or Spotify. And you can find us on social media by visiting our Facebook page at We Have Cancer Show and at We Have Cancer Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. <laughs>